You're listening to Central Illinois Business. Hi, good morning. Alex from Jerry here. So glad you're with us. And we're kicking off the show first thing with a wonderful interview with uh, Mr. Dean Cavey. He is the managing partner of Verdant Partners. Welcome. Thank you, Alex. Good morning to you, and thank you for this opportunity. It's a great honor. Oh, and it is a thrill for me. I uh, have heard of your company. I knew of your company. Um, there was a fellow uh, that uh, I knew from banking that went to work uh, for your company, and that's when I first learned about it, and he was telling me a little bit about what you're doing. And um, it seems like a quiet company doing really big things. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Verdon and what you do? Sure, sure. Happy to. We are a quiet company, at least in this uh, part of the country. Uh, yeah. We've been in Champaign for just over 20 years now, but we're not real well known because most of our work is uh, elsewhere in the country as well as internationally. About 50% of our work is global, outside the U.S., and uh, the rest of it is in the main agricultural parts of the, the country. So Verdant Partners is a uh, transaction advisory and consulting business. And our focus is on providing transaction advisory services to clients who work on both sides of the farm gate. So by that I mean we work with clients who provide uh, products and services to the farmer. And then we also work on the other side of the farm gate where uh, companies will take the product of the farmer and do something with it. So it could be a food company, a food ingredients company, a fresh produce company. Uh, anyone who is involved in the food chain could be a client of ours. Wow, I have to explore that um, because it sounds so fascinating and impactful. Um, how how do you figure in in that aspect that I mean, can you give us a, I don't want you to talk out of school, but can you give us a, like a, for instance, or a story that would allow our listeners to wrap their heads around what you really do? Certainly, certainly. Well, our clients, uh, just an example, are in the seed industry, in the crop protection sector. They could be a produce company. They could be a provider of technology to the agricultural sector. Our business is focused 100% on agriculture, and even within that space, we call it the crop agriculture sector. So we don't work in animal health or animal genetics. We don't work at the farm level, so we're not in farmland uh, sales. We're not in farm finance. So we just work with companies who uh, service the farmer, and then we work with companies who take the farmer's product, whether it be corn, soybeans, you know, tomatoes, vegetables, potatoes, whatever it may be, and then they do something with it. And, and, so and how do you add value in that process? Most, about 80% of our business is M&A or mergers and acquisitions. So we basically buy and sell companies for our clients. The other 20% is a variety of consulting services, whether it's strategy development, strategy review, financial analysis, um, uh, financial evaluations, uh, technology licensing. Uh, so we, we have a pretty broad spectrum of services that we offer to our clients. And uh, Alex, what I really like about our business and what kind of gets me up in the morning and takes me to work every day is that at any given time, I could be working with a relatively small family-owned business who 
who has not provided for succession in their company. Mm-hmm. They have not provided for succession of ownership or even succession of management. And they will then come to us and say, you know what, we're 72 years old and we need to sell our business. Mm-hmm. And so we will go through a very lengthy and detailed process to help them do that and make sure that they not only receive good value for the business, but to make sure it ends up in 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 the hands of people that they're very comfortable with. Right. At the same time then, Alex, we may be working on a large-scale project for one of the major multinational companies in the world who are involved in uh, agriculture and the technology related to agriculture. So it could be companies like uh, Bayer Crop Science, BASF, Dow DuPont, and others. Wow. So it's it's a very... Uh, wide range of clients that we work with but that's what i find really interesting and challenging about it how many employees do you have there we have 15 worldwide Mm -hmm. we have um, a small base of employees here in champaign and then we have people located across the country and then we also have folks located in western europe eastern europe brazil argentina and australia wow that is really amazing um, we, uh, in anyone listening to this show knows that I do, uh, have, a, another life or a real life <laughs> as a commercial real estate, uh, uh, broker. And, uh, we, we do a lot across the country with investment grade real estate and, uh, found a lot of success with that. And then, so we thought, Hey, if it worked nationally, why wouldn't it work internationally? So for the last several years, uh, in fact, we're getting ready to leave to go to uh, MIPAM, which is the largest real estate show in Europe. It's held in Cannes, France every year. And uh, so we're getting ready to head. I think it's our fourth year that we're going. Uh, My son is on my team, and and he and I kind of work this together. And um, it really is, uh, believe it or not, I mean, it, it, the world is flat and, you know, people really want to do business here. And there are a lot of ways to do that, whether you're involved in the agriculture side of it or the real estate side of it. People really do want to be in the States or they want to do something, um, you know, with with uh, our partners, you know, and, and it's pretty fascinating. So to hear you tell that story is extremely believable. It's fascinating, but. Uh, you know, because some some people may not believe it, but it's true. I mean, those things are happening every day, and 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 out of such a small little community as this, it's it's pretty wonderful. Well, agriculture is certainly a uh, global industry, but it's surprising how small that industry is in terms of people connections. Right. Uh, everybody seems to know everybody. Uh, you know, it's it's a situation where. Uh, uh, you may be talking to somebody in Brazil and they know somebody in central Illinois that they've dealt with from an agricultural standpoint. So sure. it, it really is kind of like a fraternity or a brotherhood of, uh, of people involved in this sector. Sure. Well, when I first uh, met Jack Schultz from Effingham, mm-hmm. um, I think they were actually, I don't know if they, I know the family had a seed company, but they had farms in Brazil. And I don't know if they were growing uh, corn uh, to sell and, you know, how how their season is just the opposite of mm-hmm. our season. Keep, But I think it was a seed operation down there. And I just was so fascinated by that. As you, Here's this little, 
you know, town family, and they're just like all over the place. And uh, a lot of that goes on. People don't realize. It really does. Even small companies can have a big impact in the global agriculture sector. Yeah. And we had here uh, w through our chamber, we had uh, a position uh, where, uh, and I don't know what the title was, but the uh, Kathy uh, Cravens um, was, and she's, she's gone now, so somebody's taken her place. But um, her specific job was to help our local businesses do uh, transactions internationally. And that was her job full time, and that's all she did was help pe people, to, you know, whether they're selling or whether they were wanting to buy, make those connections. And, you know, it happens every day. It's pretty amazing. For such a small town, we've got a lot going on. So I'm curious now, when they, like you mentioned, uh, the small mom and pop, whatever came, they didn't have a succession plan. Do you value that business or do you bring in, say, a business appraiser or how do you how do you come up with uh, a benchmark for them before you go to the market? Alex, that's a great question. And uh, as you might imagine, that's a question we get uh, often and, and we get those questions by potential clients. They'll come to us, say, I want to sell my business. What's it worth? Right. And uh, so I always give them two answers. Mm -hmm. First answer is uh, to the client is, I can tell you what I think it's worth, mm -hmm. but the most important answer is what the market thinks it's worth. Yes, of course. And so we will do our due diligence on the client. Mm -hmm. uh, we do a pretty sophisticated valuation model. Mm -hmm. And based on the results of that modeling work, we can tell the client what we believe the market value of their company would be. Mm -hmm. At least it gives them a, a pretty fair idea so they can use that information to make a decision as to whether they want to move forward with well, the potential it's sale. A baseline. It's a baseline. Right. And then, uh, but, th but really what happens then is when, when that client uh, decides to begin the process of selling their company, we will, we will collect all that information. We'll do our own due diligence on the client. We'll put together uh, our suggested prospect list of potential buyers, and then we put together an offering memorandum. And when the client then gives us approval to move forward with the, the transaction process, we will start the second phase, which is what we call the marketing phase. That's when we go out and start contacting approved prospects on behalf of our client and communicating with them the benefits of this company. Mm -hmm. And ideally, at the end of this marketing process, we will get multiple offers on behalf of the client, and then we'll work with the client to decide which of those offers they want to accept and then uh, at that point, once, once they've made a decision and we've given a potential buyer uh, the go-ahead, they will then begin a, a very deep due diligence process just to make sure there's nothing uh, about the business that could be a potential problem for them as a buyer. Mm -hmm. At that point, we also start working with attorneys and accountants to structure the transaction to make sure it's the most tax adva uh, advantageous structure for our client. And then ultimately at the end of that process, the uh, transaction gets closed. And from beginning to end, it takes about nine months on average. Wow, yeah, and I mean, that's a lot like commercial real estate. It, I mean, we just closed a transaction that uh, uh, you know took six years, <laughs> but it's not unusual for it to take nine months to you know yeah. eighteen months to get something done. So it's very, that's very interesting uh, deal cycle. 
Well, that is uh, very interesting. Um, we, uh, believe it or not, have got to take a short break for our sponsor's sake. Uh, but uh, uh, when I come back, uh, have you, uh, did you uh, know about that company, Agrable, here in town? Yes. Because, I mean, I think that that's a really great example of uh, a local company that was offering services to the agricultural community and has grown and has done some really amazing things. So maybe we can kind of talk about some examples like that. Certainly. Be okay. happy to. Great. Please don't go away. We will be right back after this word. And we're back. You're listening to Central Illinois Business. Alex Ruggieri here. We are having a wonderful uh, conversation with uh, Dean Cavey. He is the managing partner of Verdant Partners, uh, which is a local company, but doing business globally. Um, just some incredible, incredible things. Uh, just before the break, uh, I talked about uh, a, co- a young company here that started uh, kind of a spinoff from the U of I, a uh, big data kind of company. Um, but they applied uh, all of this to uh, the American farmer. And the company was called Agribill. And I had um, their founder on the show. This was several years ago. But uh, it was very fascinating to me. And I, I think since then they've actually even gone public or they've sold the company to a big, uh, bigger investor, that kind of a thing. But um, is that a company that um, you would uh, work with locally or is that how would that fit in the chain of things it uh, it is an example of a company that we might work with locally we did not have the good fortune to work with them and represent them in their s- recent sale but it it is a perfect example of the type of company that we might work with uh, um, whether they be in central illinois or any place for that matter so that that kind of struck a note with me that that might be a company that exactly you know that kind of a thing so when you're working on the other side with these large companies that seek um, products from farmers, how, how would that work? I mean, can you give us an example of, of how that might? Yeah, if, if I may uh, give you a little background into that space, Alex. Uh, as we all know, uh, the world is dealing with rapidly increasing population. Yes. And projections say we're going to reach about 10 billion people by 2050. Right. Uh, The amount of arable land that is devoted to agriculture is actually shrinking. So we have to find ways to produce more food on less land over the next uh, 30 or 40 years to uh, feed all of these people that are going to be on this planet. And to do that is going to require technology. And I like to say that tech. Uh, that agriculture has now gone through three technology revolutions. And, of course, the first technology revolution came about in the early 1900s with the mechanization on the farm, the mechanization of agriculture. The second revolution occurred in the mid-1990s with the advent of what's, what's commonly referred to as biotechnology. So we found a way through technology to create greater yields, reduce disease pressure, reduce uh, insect pressure, and basically to produce 
uh, bigger and better crops on fewer acres through the use of technology. This was a great benefit to the farmer. The problem is the consumer didn't see any benefit from it. All, they saw exactly the same things on the on the produce shelf or on the uh, you know the grocery store shelves that they were seeing before because they didn't really understand how that product was being produced for them. It was a tremendous benefit for the farmer because the farmer could farm more acres with less inputs, less resources, and it uh, actually kept many more people on the farm in than business. otherwise uh, mm -hmm. would have happened. Mm -hmm. The third piece of that technology revolution is, as you referred to, as big data or ag tech, mm -hmm. and agribull is part of that. Mm -hmm. And this is a segment of agriculture that came into being about 10 years ago, and it came into being when commodity prices were considerably higher than they are today, almost double as a matter of fact. Wow. And the idea was that these bigger companies, Monsanto, Dow, DuPont, and others, were going to create this new technology platform that was going to allow farmers to use this technology to be much more efficient. And they were going to charge the farmer um, for the use of this technology. Uh, and it was going to be a... a, a significant boost of the business model of these big uh, agricultural technology companies. Well, it didn't work out that way because commodity prices collapsed, farmers were unable and also unwilling to pay $8, $10 an acre for this new technology. So these companies who possessed the technology had to uh, take a different approach, and so they started using this more as a marketing um, um, vehicle vehicle for them rather than something they could sell to make more money. So they were using it uh, to market their other products, be it seeds or crop protection chemicals or whatever. And so the farmer has, has actually benefited greatly from this new technology, although I think the greatest impact of this new technology is yet to come. And the reason is the average farmer in the United States is about 68 years old. Right, right. They're reluctant to embrace some yep. of this new technology. Yeah, they don't download the app. Exactly. <laughs> so I think it's the next generation that's really going to embrace this technology and yeah. use it to its full extent. So yeah. I think it's a tremendous boost to the farmer, and I think we'll see the benefits uh, from it over the course of the next 15, 20 years. Well, and uh, the other aspect uh, is genetic editing and those kinds of things uh, I watched a TED talk the other day um, and this fella was talking about and they're doing this already um, creating you know like so for instance um, like an example would be oil soybean oil which is a commodity that farmers produce and instead of producing uh, so many gallons per acre with genetic editing or whatever and they make these germs or whatever that go into this vat they can five ten times the oil per acre in in these vats mm -hmm. and now you're talking orders whole orders of magnitude uh in terms of producing proteins producing carbohydrates sugars oils and the, the food ingredients on less land and producing more. And so what you said earlier is it sounds like science fiction, but they're doing it already. Absolutely. 
gene editing is a tremendous piece of science and yeah. it's been used in the uh, human medical community for a number of years and now it's coming to agriculture and uh, it's a way to essentially design a crop uh, to contain the features that you want in that crop and it's primarily quality enhanced features like vitamin a content mm -hmm. or shelf life content or flavor and, and essentially what the scientist does is go disease in. Disease resistance. Absolutely. Yeah. So they go in and essentially just change the genetic structure of the plant or, in some cases, the human in order to extract the desired results. Yeah. It's, it, to me, it's just incredible. And uh, a lot of this kind of stuff is going on right here, you know, coming out of the U of I. I mean, Agriville came out of the U of I. And uh, there's a lot of biotech, there's a lot of nanotechnologies, and all of these things are going to impact the future. Uh, but they're doing them right now. I mean, it's, it's really, really quite amazing. Well, we talked uh, about the future. What, what do you see the f for the future for your business? I mean, what, what kinds of things do you see on the horizon? Well, as I said before, um, I think the the future of agriculture is very closely tied to the adoption of technology as a way of producing better quality crops and greater quantity of crops on smaller amounts of land and that's true worldwide the problem we have alex is that the technology that we're blessed with using here in the u.s has not been widely adopted in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, you're probably familiar with the term GMOs, or mm -hmm. genetically mm -hmm. modified organisms, mm -hmm. and that's where you simply take a gene from one, um, it could be a bacteria or it could be a gene from one plant, and you put it into another plant. Mm -hmm. And you do that to uh, integress a certain quality feature in that plant. And so that is commonly known as biotechnology now, but that's what's made the farmer so much more efficient. But in places like Europe, uh, parts of Asia, and even, interesting enough, places like Africa are very resistant to the adoption of GMO technology. They, they believe that, uh, it's hard to say what they believe because it's not scientifically based. Science will show you that this is very safe technology and in fact, it's better for the environment because it causes the farmer to make many fewer passes over his field. He's using less fossil fuel, he's using less equipment, and he's farming more acres with less inputs. So I think it's tremendous for agriculture. I think it's tremendous for the economy. It's tremendous for the environment. Uh, but politically, this technology is, is an issue in parts of the world. Well, I know like in Japan, they're kind of like, oh, no, go on the GM. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's much more of a political issue than it is a scientific issue. Yeah. I mean, people, I, 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 I guess there's some, <coughs> some logic to their concern, of course. Uh, but when people say, oh, you shouldn't mess with nature and this, I mean, man has been doing that for 10,000 years. I remember reading in, in, in the Bible and they were talking about, you know, the ears of corn that Joseph saw in the Pharaoh's dream. There was no corn. That was the King James Version. They were talking about the grain they had, which was whatever it was, barley or whatever. I mean, they invented corn by crossbreeding grasses over centuries. 
and now we have corn and of course now we we have better corn than they ever had but but you know it's like dogs you know uh, uh i'll never forget that uh episode of cosmos the after they did the 25 year reboot uh and neil degrassi was talking about dogs and he's you know dogs didn't exist 10,000 years ago <laughs> there weren't dogs uh there was just the wolf and because of interbreeding and man's yeah. intervening now we have everything from you know great danes to poodles absolutely and miniature pinches you get pinches or all that so i i don't buy the argument that we shouldn't mess with nature because man's been doing it for thousands of years and if we don't do it we won't be able to take care of our population and so uh, yeah i mean i think we need to be careful we don't want to create some kind of genetic monster that's going to sweep through the land like uh, some bad sci-fi movie but as you say, I don't think the science supports that kind of a scenario. Well, plant breeding and genetic improvement, as you say, has been going on for centuries. Yeah. And so the science that we're working with today is simply a way to make plant breeding more efficient. Hybrid seed corn wasn't invented until the 1930s. Wow. And before that, we were dealing with uh, seed corn that may have yield, yielded 25 or 30 or 40 bushels per acre. So without that uh, technology development, we wouldn't be producing 250 bushels of corn per acre here in central Illinois every year. That is amazing. Well, this is just great stuff. And it, what's so exciting is to hear uh, you talk about it uh, from a practical point of view, because this is going on right now, right here in Champaign. And your reach is nationally and internationally uh, with the customers and clients that you work with, and uh, the company's called Verdant Partners, and you're a managing member, and um, we're just so happy you're here, and it's so exciting, and I'm just delighted that you were able to come on the show, and we could shine a little light on what you're doing. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a great joy to do this. Well, it's been fun, and so glad you came, and uh, please uh, uh, don't go away. We have much more coming up right after the break. And we're back. You're listening to Central Illinois Business. Alex with Jerry here. Thanks for staying with us through the break. Second half of the hour, I have Sharon Crow here with me from Checkered Moon. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I was telling you just before the break um, how I had, uh, you know, and I don't often get time to do this, but I just, there was something that said to me, I, I think it was actually david <laughs> he said go to the store so and i said you know i'm gonna go and i want to see what the store's like because um i had driven by and i saw and i've been in your store over in old farm Correct. and it was a really lovely place but i noticed that you're building a new store right on neil street Correct. and i thought wouldn't it be fun to have sharon on the store and uh sharon on the radio show we could talk about the new store but i hadn't been there yet Right. And so I went the other day and I am telling you, it was it was so much fun uh, because there was and the word you used, I think, captured it. Energy. I walked in. People greeted me. There were smiles everywhere. Uh, there were customers. There were employees. There were people 
you know, milling about looking at things uh, and uh, coming and going. I mean, it was really cool. Right. And the I don't know how you did it, but the place is like flooded with light. It was almost like you walked into another dimension or something <laughs> because it was just flooded with light and you felt like you were in a different place. And, it, you know, it's just it was really cool. And I, I just wanted to share that with you and with our listeners because it, it it really impressed me. It was very palpable. Well, it was. it's interesting. We had a customer come in this week, and she kind of summed it up for us, too. She said, I live a mile away, but I felt like I just drove 200 miles yeah. to another place. Yeah. And it was it's really nice. That, and I, she I'm, said, I real, and we've, ha- we've heard that more yeah. and more this time and this week in the new shop. And it is. It's flooded with light. It's flooded with energy. It's flooded with people and yeah. good people and great customers and yeah. who become friends. And I think a lot of people are happy for us. We've been here, you know, 18 years. So. Yeah. It's kind of nice to to see us still here, still growing, and still you know committed to what we're doing. And are there any other checkered moons, or is this something that you? There just is. I, well, it's something that I yeah did one night. Tell, <laughs> tell me about it. I'm real interested. <laughs> well, it was um, I had years ago. I've been um, my husband and I, David and I, are from Florida, mm-hmm. and um, I had done interior design in Florida, and we moved. We ended up landing here in Illinois. My husband's a builder. And so um, we decided, I had always helped girlfriends out with interior design. I had a young son at home, and friends had kept saying, you need to do a store. We need a store in town. We need something here. And and I kind of laughed it off, and then it went forward. And finally, a friend called and said, I saw a space, and maybe you could do it. And we kind of laughed, and we, I, Dave and I sat and talked about it, and... And he said, just go for it. Why not? And so now I, you're making more money than he is. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> that <laughs> would be we're, funny, we're, though. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> a star is born. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, we, we uh, found a little spot. And I said, well, this is funny. We'll see if anyone shows up and whatever. And it turned into this funny little shop on Neal Street. Funny, strangely enough, 18 years ago, we started on at the end of there was Pickles Restaurant on one I end. Remember, we're yeah. in, we're new you know, transplants here from Florida. And um, we found this little spot at the end right across from the library. And I, um, I remember when the you were there. Shop there. Yeah. 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 So 18 years ago, we opened on October 1st then. And now we're back on Neal Street. Wow. Strangely enough, 18 years later. And this is and just a wonderful profile, too. When you drive by, you, you right. see the store. And it's a wonderful building. It's a wonderful plaza. And yeah. it had had the space that was available for us in the back to be able to do interior design as well. Mm-hmm. The other stores have not lent itself to be able to do that as well. Right. A lot of people don't know that we do that. We've kind of quietly yeah. done it. We yeah. I go into a lot of people's homes, but I want people to see the person and not not notice that I have been in there I, behind I, the scenes. I love that idea. Yeah. I want the, I, I like the idea of it being their home. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's my approach to design Because, you, you know, well. you go into some of these places, and, I mean, I, there's so many talented people, and I'm not being critical. No, I don't have I agree. that talent. But, you know, it just almost seems sterile. Right. Because it's like this from over here and that from over there, and you know, right. it has nothing to do with the family. But it looks really cool in right. the magazine when they get right. you know in Home Magazine or whatever. You right. know, right, right, but right. So it's mixing the somehow exactly, and it's nice also to have their their personal stamp on their home. Right, you know, with a little with a little behind the scenes, a second set of eyes, a little little help behind. Yeah, and um. So it's kind of nice for them to shine, not necessarily. But we, so we do a lot of interior design. And this space lent itself for that as yeah, well. Yeah. So we're allowed to have the showroom there, expand our showroom a little bit, and then still have our store, which is the the 
the meat, you know, the meat of us as well. It's just a great community place. It's a neighborhood shop, and it's you yeah. know, got that feel and vibe. That yeah, we feel. it's really cool. Yeah. So how? I mean. Did you have a degree in interior decorating? Yeah, yeah I went to school in Florida for really? interior design, and, oh. but then kind of put on the back burner for a while. Mm-hmm. And then we were traveling around and, and uh, mm-hmm. ended up landing here. And so it's kind of coming so back So you out always again. had this flair, this, this Correct. feel Correct. for it. Yeah. Yes, always had the feel for it. And then and it came out in its other way, which was kind of a nice side to do, was the shop side. Mm-hmm. And so we did that for a long time. It worked well for family life as well, too. A lot of the, the gals that work there and, and everybody that I work with um, – we're moms and we're people and families first. And so, you know, stage of life was, right. um, you know, our children are there and the, the, the children come first and then the shop comes second. And so kind of had that mindset and grew with as our children. Now my son's moved on and mm-hmm. lives away from home and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. And so I, we can give back more time to sure. what the other love that we had, which was sure. design and the shop sure. as well. And the shop could grow. Yeah. So. Yeah. Did David have anything to do with the build out? Absolutely. Because that is <laughs> Hence, really I was a in, nice in a store. quick, rapid speed time. Um, yes. It was oh, yeah. You got a priority yeah. on your well, contractor. It, it, he no didn't doubt. realize I was slipping into the plate. We kind of decided and it kind of came on quite rapidly that we were going to move. And he slipped us in and got it done and did a beautiful job. I, you know, we helped design it together. And I think it turned out a really lovely lovely environment and uh, i agree yeah but i what what surprised me was when i was in there and i said tell me sharon did you double your space and 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 you said no you didn't no i didn't but we made it feel yeah that's part of that space planning that made it crazy it's like twice it feels twice as big it does and it does i don't know if it's a high cube ceiling or what it is well we let yeah we we lightened it up and we brightened it up and um let the light show the pro that we have so many wonderful things there mm-hmm. and so many things that need to be seen and it just it just became it just kind of grown its own and we, did, we dropped in the cloud ceilings and all that good stuff that just kind of mm-hmm. brought it a little bit down and then we made it the the uh the interior side a little bit more homey mm-hmm. and um so it's a little it's it's comfortable and it's wider open spaces, which is wonder, which you know, which is great. Um, we have a lot of people that have, you know, whether it's a disability or whatever that might be, they need a little bit more space to get around, and that allowed it, you know, it allowed that um, situation to open up in that shop. So yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, it's really really cool stuff. Yeah. So tell me about your products. Where do they come from? A little bit of everywhere. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I go to marts everywhere around. So you personally go and pick your lines. Everything in uh-huh. there. Great. Absolutely, great. we do. We're, we've been always known, I always started the tagline way back in the day, of home gift baby you. It kind of sums up everything that we are. We're home, mm-hmm. we're a home store, we're a gift store, we're a baby store, and we're a you store, meaning anything from, uh, you know, where our clothing department is lovely and everything's kind of curated nicely with a mix of high and low. We, we like the blend from anything from, you know, BB Dakota, which is a women's line that's a great price point, to... Ted Baker, which is a higher end price point, but it's, you know, so you can, it, it, it accommodates all. We've had girls that have come in. One of the gals that works there is, um, started with us uh, in college and now works for us now as a, um, a mom. And so we've watched her grow from being able with a college budget to be able to purchase something for family members to an adult in a career and husband in a career and children and able to fill that need as well too so and then also the baby department has grown since we've moved as well Mm. um so you know so um what kinds of things do you sell in there i mean do you sell 
I mean, obviously, you you sell uh, all kinds of home decor, but I mean, do you sell furniture? Do you sell? We do. Uh, we do. We do. Yeah. We do home decor. We do home accents. We also do. We do a lot of wedding and baby registries. Mm. So mm. that's oh kind yeah, of, yeah, so that would be that's huge. really nice. So wedding, mm-hmm. we do really well. We do Mariposa, which is a line of. Um, um, aluminum products that people love and they're collectible and people can add on to it as they, you know, whether it's an anniversary later on or whatever. And baby is, um, it's just a, kind you of our soft You don't sell spot. cribs or anything. We do don't you? do cribs. We, right. do, we don't do cribs, but we do, we, when we do interior design, we help with that with, oh, okay. with clients as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. we do do children's rooms wow. um, and we do furnishings. Yes, we do mm-hmm. furniture where the, the area, um, Sales store for Lee Industries, which is a wonderful furniture line. It's well done. It's it's just they're always in coastal living, uh, you know, the designer homes, and mm-hmm. you know they're just mm-hmm. it's a wonderful company. And we do Cisco Brothers, which is a California green mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. that we do. So we do a lot of order in the shop is more set up to be inspirational, um, so you can use it as in you know inspiring. But anything you pretty much see. When you go, when you look through magazines or you go on Pinterest, anything you pretty much see, whether it's from lighting um, to furniture to rugs to whatever, we source and we have access to. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the good news. I go to North Carolina for shows for the furniture side and and then as well for the rest of the, the other sides of the shop as well. We do art and a lot of art and a lot of rugs. Yeah. So great rug selections well. As well the too. thing I liked about the art is – um, it's real. I mean, Correct. it's real. Right. You know, I nothing. I don't know. I don't even want to pretend that I know anything about your world, about interior decorating or this, that, and the other thing. I just know how I feel when I walk into a space, mm-hmm. like when I f- walked into your store and how I felt. Right. Uh, it it that was visceral to right. me. Uh, and when I walk into and I'm in real estate, everybody listens to this show knows that I do commercial real estate right. for a living and do this show just as a volunteer. But when I walk into a building and they have fake art on the walls, mm-hmm. you know, like an office building or something, I mean, it's just like. You just get this feeling like right. fake art. Really? It's fake art. So is the are the people fake? Right. You know, I mean, are, are, are their business principles fake? I mean, right. you know, it just it's it's a subtext that speaks to you without you even realizing it. Right. And um, when you have real art on the walls of your home or real art on the walls of your building and your business, I think that. That says something about right. you, especially, right. you know, when you pick it out. Right, right. It says something about you. Right. And we can source a lot of art for, for customers as well, too. So, yeah. you know, it's as, you know, people come in when we when we do design, we, we, we go out. We can either go out to people's homes or people come in the shop. It just depends on what you want. We can do it. There's millions of ways now that you can interact with people in that market. Um whether it's through we share Pinterest boards back and forth that are yeah. locked in private, so yeah. our our clients and us we can you know we can chat that way and oh, show, cool. share ideas and designs. So Neat. there's a there's a lot of um, ways to connect with you know the you know cell phones are wonderful and oh, FaceTime yeah. is it's wonderful crazy. and yeah. so and we also you know we do a lot of anything from furniture to ship you know we ship 
we do clients' homes that are not necessarily here. So, wow. yeah, so it's kind of fun. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, I mean, I'm really glad that we talked also because, I mean, I'm learning so much about uh, – yeah. I, I didn't realize that you did so much with the home decor. I mean, I knew that's right. what the store was all about. Right. But I didn't realize you did the decorating and that you Correct. consulted. And, we do. And, and we and do staging and all that good stuff. So, oh, do you do staging for, like, real estate? We do. Oh, wow. We do. Yeah. But we, we we like the design, which is like the store. It's an approachable store. It's you, it. I never liked when I was in, in design school. I didn't like stores that I would go to and design shops that you didn't feel you were welcome. Yeah. And it felt too pretentious or yes. too stuffy to go right. into, and you right. didn't know why you were in there, and you, you know, it. So yeah, I want it to feel like it's it's a it's a collaborative effort between yeah. ourselves and the people that come into the store, and the rest of the store is that way too. It's all approachable it's all touchable it's you know we've got great books in there and great apothecary lines for you know we're all all of us gals like a little little lotion and guys we like oh, a little yeah. you know a little sure. upscale uh, you know we want a few facial oils or toners or whatever so we have that now in the space that we can offer all that with you know organic products and all that good stuff that we like so Fantastic. and the and the community up there allows it the um the space with starbucks nearby people can walk over grab yeah. a coffee wander yeah. through the shop yeah. Have a little visit, yeah. whether they shop or not, or just come in and wander around and feel good with yeah. the, as you said, the energy. Yeah, oh, within yeah. it, it's, yeah, it's it's really there. Yeah, I'm really excited to bring my uh, to bring my wife because uh, she hasn't seen it yet. Oh, good. So okay. I'm, I'm really Great. excited to bring her. Great. But uh, anyway, we're out of time. How can people find out more about you and the store? www.checkeredmoon.com as well. Okay. As well as anything, Facebook, Instagram, we're Checkered Moon. And we're on Neal Street on Carriage and Carriage Center. Carriage Center. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. We've been talking with Sharon Crow. She is the owner of Checkered Moon. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.